Hey everybody, we teased a uh, special episode last week, and here it is for you. It's going to be a two-part interview. Uh, we did an interview, it ran really long because there's a lot of good stuff in it, and we didn't want to slice it out. So the first half is going to be this week's episode, and the second half is going to be launched in a couple days when we're finished editing it, and it'll just come as some bonus content. We're not going to take up two weekly podcasts for it. It's a little different than you expect. Uh, we had an interview with a cop. Uh, you, Matt and I were kind of geared up for war on this one, and uh, it actually turned out to be an incredibly informative conversation with a whole lot of nuance. This guy is not what you expect. He is not toting the bootlicker line that we thought we would be coming across, and it was actually a really good conversation. So if it's not what it sounds like it should be in the beginning, just stick around for it. Uh, I think you're really going to get a lot out of it. Thanks for joining us on this one. Hello, and welcome to The Alt-Left. Welcome back, everybody, to the Alt-Left. This is episode 28. Um, we promised you last week, we, if the stars aligned, we'd have a little something special for you. And uh, and it did. Turns out the Flying Spaghetti Monster was on our side. And uh, we actually have a, a special interview for today's episode. So it is just for this week, it's just going to be a good old Jumbo Johnson Matthew with me. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Thanks for being here. And our special guest, Lamar. Yeah, hey everybody, and thank you for having me on the uh, podcast, guys. Absolutely. Thanks for showing up, man. So just so everyone knows, um, Lamar is a police officer uh, from a major metropolitan area and has decided to come on the show, wanted to answer some concerns about policing, kind of clear his side of the story, that kind of thing, and just have a good conversation back and forth from two different sides on these issues in America right now. And so I just want to say thanks for being here. I uh, I would be nervous about hopping onto a, a Trump website, you know, <laughs> or, uh, you know, something that would be diametrically opposed to something I believe in podcast. So um, I think uh, regardless of whether or not... Uh, you end up calling me a filthy pinko later. I appreciate you being here. It takes a lot of courage. And uh, I know I know this probably isn't the most fun conversation to have all the time. So I'm really glad you're here, man. I appreciate you getting out there for us. And honestly, he is a filthy pinko, so it works out regardless. <laughs> that is true, actually. So I mean, obviously, like, I mean, let's get uh, let's get the elephant out of the room. I mean, the reason why policing in America is such a hot topic issue is because it's come to light, especially with, you know, liberal white America. There's a major issue going on with police violence, especially towards black men in America. So before we even go anywhere, like how do how do you feel about that? When someone says like there's a problem with police violence towards black men in the United States, what's what's your opinion on that statement? Oh man. Um, <laughs> I'll try to keep it short. So I don't, I don't want to eat up too much of the time. So like, which is funny because this conversation is actually much easier than you think. Um, me, I have a friend of mine. Uh, he's so, you know, like if I had to put myself into any camp of politics, uh, I fall libertarian, right. And he falls very left. Um, and we discuss this stuff all the time, uh, on our podcasts. We discuss it uh, on stereo, if you're familiar with stereo, the I've had this I've had this conversation a lot with him and other people. It's it's not it used to be really hard to have this conversation, but like anything, the more you have it, kind of the more refined you you kind of start to, to ponder on things. But your question, so when I usually when I hear that question, I I get ums and ahs, and then I get I agrees and I disagrees at the same time. So I always tell people I believe it looks that way because of what 
because of the media, the numbers, the the data, and I'm, I'm a, I am a very big data person, which is to sometimes my my fault. The data that comes from, you know, like Pew Research comes from the NAACP, Statista, places I, I respect and get my sources from a lot, actually, uh, don't support that a lot. It supports that there's a problem, period, with police using violence on people, which I agree. I think that there is an issue with police violence. I think that there is a need for some uh, form of reform, but I, I don't fall into the camp that I believe that the police are targeting black men in particular. Okay. You know, I always look at things, you know, when I first started looking at this, because it's interesting for me being a black man myself, I was like, well, is this even, how do I feel about this? And I started looking at, you know, these other sources, and I, I started looking at um, the different side of the aisle uh, from my own, you know, probably opinionated or political camp. And I was like, well, what's going on? What's being said, right? Because as a new officer, I, you know, I've been on for three years, but when I first came on, I never really thought about, you know, well, is this even an issue? Growing up as a kid, I did a little bit. I grew up in, you know, the ghetto a lot. But, you know, I, I found that, and just by, you know, population size, Caucasian people are killed at a higher rate, uh, even unarmed than any other any of the other minorities. And then I kind of did some digging and found that, well, the, the disproportionality isn't, it, they kind of line up to be the same in percentage wise. And so I kind of came to the conclusion to keep this a little short that i believe there's an issue in our poor communities. I don't believe, however, there's an issue with police officers specifically targeting or targeting black Americans. Okay. Now, I definitely agree with, I mean, I disagree with part of your statement, but I do agree with part of it there. I do actually think that there's a major economic factor that gets anno- uh, that gets overlooked a lot. I think it's, you know, a it's clear that that one of the biggest sources of crime is poverty. You know, wealthy people don't need to knock off liquor stores at the end of the day. To say that poverty is a major contributing factor to violent crime, and then to ignore the fact that poverty plays a, a role in police's response to crime, I, I agree with you. I think that's that's something that gets overlooked and should be looked at. When we speak about racial bias for police, right, in terms of armed response, um, I'm not talking about individuals. We're talking about averages. You know, obviously there are there's no matter what the occupation is, people on every side. Um, I don't know if you're aware of uh, an organization called PNAS, which I know is a ridiculous name, uh, but it's the publication for the National Academy of Sciences. It, it's actually one of the most respected scientific and statistical publications in the world. Um, they've been around for a very long time, um, and they have the best number. They, they've actually become really famous and known about a lot because of their COVID stuff. Like they're the ones who are tracking the best numbers, and the CDC refers to them. You know, they're non-biased, they're non-partisan, they don't follow any political party or nation, and they're totally peer-reviewed on everything. You know, they only care about facts. And one of the things, I'm just going to read a quote and ask what you think about that. Um, their quote is, they say, we find that African-American men and women, uh, American Indian and Alaska Native men and women, and Latina men face higher lifetime risk of being killed by police than do their white peers. Risk is higher for black men who at current levels of risk face about a 1 in 1,000 chance of being killed by police over the life course. Black men are 2.5 times more likely to be killed by police over the life course than are white men. Risk peaks between the age of 20 years and 35 years for all groups. For young men of color, police use use of force is among the leading causes of death. And that number, if you actually look at their numbers, the, the number jumps a lot. The, the data shows that between 25 years old and 29 years old, and obviously these numbers jump for every race. These numbers are higher for white men too. But black men are killed by police at a rate of 3.45 per 100,000. Uh, and to put that in perspective, it trails right behind heart disease, which is 7, and cancer at 6.3. Whereas in that same age range of risk, white men are 1.1. 1. 1. 
So black men in America are killed in that in that high risk age range are killed at 3.45 per 100,000 and white people are statistically killed at 1.1 per 100,000. What would be the answer to that data? I think it I well I'd have to look at their study, but my question is are they are they accounting just for sheer population? Um No, this is percentage. Just percentage based on the based on the current population of people in America today. Yeah. Um and and part of the caveat of their research was they took out Suicide, vehicular, uh, you know, traffic collisions, falls, anything like that. This is this is statistically, this is specifically, you know, firearms and 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 use of force. I mean, I I would say I can see where the number comes from. You know, when you, uh, you know, I believe it probably comes from the fact that you know we only make up thirteen percent of the population. So when anything disproportionately impacts a smaller percent of the population the likelihood of something ha- occurring or happening is going to occur more uh, or reflect to occur more. Now, because I've also seen like, uh, you know, Southern Poverty Law Center released a study as well that said that Caucasian people were 2.7 times more likely to be shot by police armed or unarmed. But they also had certain variables that they were accounting for that it sounds like this study didn't include. I would say that my my only guess to those numbers is population size you know the yeah it'd be, it'd be kind of like if we were only three percent of the population but had the same numbers with police related deaths then it would, it would be probably an even greater disparity than what, than what they reported now absolutely i think that that speaks kind of almost against that point is that uh you're right but, you know because the pot you know yeah people of color only make up a small percentage of the pop you know people like people make up what you said it was like 13 i've heard 14 yeah it's a, it's a small percentage of the population uh, whereas still white people are clearly the the largest populations, you know, st- uh, demographic in the U.S. You know, if we have a statistic that says 40,000 white people drink Fresca and 35,000 black people drink Fresca, then clearly white people prefer Fresca. And it's like, well, no, if you take the population into account, clearly black people prefer Fresca because it's a much higher percentage of their population. And so if we're going to talk about what percentage of of black men in that high risk age bracket if it's if it's way higher we're talking over three times higher this isn't you know this isn't a small skew number this isn't like it's 1.1 for white men and 1.3 for black men this is 1.1 for black men and 3.45 three and a half almost out of a hundred thousand that's that's over three times the death rate and that's that's got to give you pause i just want to interject real quick i looked it up according to the recent census bureau it is 13.4 percent of the population no so laura was right on I would agree that by having a smaller percentage of the population, it does have the chance to skew it higher. But if we're talking about, you know, numbers that go back over a decade, a, a rate of three times, that can't be an error. That can't be an anomaly. No, no, no. And I, I don't believe it's an error. I mean, I believe it's a mixture of uh, kind of a lot of things. Um, some of them are harder subjects to talk about than others. So the first one I do believe is just due to population size. Um, the second one is, uh, you have to look at where most of these police shootings occur. Most police shootings occur in inner cities, yeah, which are predominantly filled by African Americans, which are predominantly, which are predominantly dominated. Most inner cities are dominated by lower income, and I think that there's a lot of variables that go in. So if we look at, so for instance, if you look at 2019 numbers uh, for poli- for 911 calls, you know, a small percent of the population, and uh, I think they also combine Hispanics into that uh, into this number. Um, accumulated more than half the calls than the majority of the population. A majority of the 911 calls come from inner cities, um, not the suburbs, not the countryside. 
there's also more police in the inner cities. Uh, so, you know, working where I work is a clear man, you know, manpower difference than working in, you know, a smaller department. So I think when you take into account high urban, you know, high population density, more officers, more call volume, it's no, uh, you know, stranger that the inner cities are produce more violent crime than the suburbs and the countrysides, um, at least that goes reported. Uh, I believe that you will see these numbers reflected because you will see these encounters basically happening more potentially with one group of people because additionally to all of this compounded, people of color are still majority. They make a majority of our impoverished population disproportionately. Um, And I think that is a, I think that's actually a, a very big key driving factor is that you have a minority population making up a disproportionate amount of your, and of your lower income that are living in high police interaction areas that are faced with um, potentially high crime rate areas, not through doing of their own, that are then forcing high risk encounters with law enforcement. And I think a lot of those come together to not necessarily give us a racial issue. Although I don't deny that, you know, there are racist policemen. I'm, I'm sure there are. I, I don't take away from being racist anybody, but it might be more of an economic crisis and a crisis of our inner cities uh, rather than a crisis of racism within policing. What would you say to it could be both? Um, because I agree with you. I actually think that the number one issue uh, affecting people of color in terms of both law enforcement and our, our criminal justice system entirely is poverty. Uh, at the end of the day, the, the more security human beings have, the less likely they are to commit crime. I mean, the, the crime doesn't happen in the suburbs as much. A, I mean, I you said it yourself, there's a lot more police. So we're talking about people who are having trouble making ends meets and that are over-policed. So if you've got three times the level of police on the streets, they're going to catch more fish. And then if you, you know, we have issues like recidivism. So if we have a high number of the population that's going to prison, getting felonies, these are now disenfranchised people when they get out. Not only can they not vote or anything like that, but it, you can't can't be in Section 8 housing. You don't qualify for it anymore. You can't get on food stamps. You can't even live with someone who's on assistance or they will lose their assistance. And it then this isn't the police. This is our government and this is the criminal justice system. But they push forward this. Now, now we have disenfranchised people who have literally nowhere to turn. And then they come out of the streets and it's an overly policed area with no assistance. And it's already a high crime area where the police are far more on alert. You don't think that plays a factor that we have police who are already expecting there to be more crime in an area where people are far more desperate and they're in far greater numbers that that doesn't play to the assumption of guilt and assumption of danger when encountering black men? You know, I believe that two things can be true simultaneously. You know, I I can admit that I would argue that some policemen, I, I won't say all, some policemen possibly have that mindset, right? Now, like where I work, my, my particular squad, my particular platoon, we're mostly minority. So I, I work in a kind of interesting uh, perspective. Mm. You know, we're mostly black and Hispanic. So it, it's a little different, but I have worked on majority, uh, you know, uh, Caucasian uh, squads. And I mean, but it's, it's not a race thing either. It, it is it is a police thing. Certain police officers, regardless, because I mean, even growing up in the community, I mean, if you grew up in that community, you might believe, 
well, I just know how violent my community is kind of mentality. I've seen that mentality play out too. So no, I, I believe it can be uh, two things can be true simultaneously. You know, I think that's a that's something that the inner cities are trying to tackle uh, because you said earlier, you know, with, with there being more police with more police means more patrolling, which means that we will catch more fish in this net. But what kind of fish are we catching? So like for me, I don't particularly care about drugs. I just don't. Right. I don't care if people use drugs. I care if people sell drugs to kids, but I don't particularly care if people sell drugs either. Now, I care because my job says I have to care. But on a personal level, I, I don't care. Right. It, mm-hmm. Drugs should just be legal. I mean, if people want to use drugs, let them use drug. It's not my body. Same thing with like traffic crime. Right. Traffic crime is a, a huge, you know, thing that the police do. Um, and I know maybe Portland. It might have been Portland. That was reading that is reassessing how they uh, will, will address traffic related offenses uh, by not possibly stopping motorists for uh, non moving violations, which I think is a good idea. I agree. I like personally, I stop people for stop signs and stoplights, but that's because I've seen what a what a ram can do when it blows the stoplight at 50 miles an hour to a minivan. I don't particularly want that for anybody, so I will yeah. feel the need yeah. to enforce that. But if your plates are expired, if your lights are, I don't care. I might stop you and be like, hey, man, your lights are out. Most people don't even know their lights are out. I'm like, oh, my bad. Especially living in the city because it's so lit. You, you don't. Yeah. Most people yeah. drive with their headlights off in the first place in the middle of the night. So, no, I, I can definitely see your point, And I can agree to your point, actually, that I think that it plays into a uh, self-defeating prophecy where the police believe that because the neighborhood is this, then that means there's this and there's this and there's this. When it's not true. Right. It's just people living their lives. And unfortunately, the system is uh, or I think our prison system is inappropriate and it causes people to suffer even after they get out, which it shouldn't. Right. You're supposed to, you know, pay, you know, do do the crime, do the time. But the time kind of continues after you're out of prison, which doesn't really make any sense. So, no, I can agree to to a portion of that. Yeah. OK. I, and I, I got to tell you, like. It's refreshing to hear that in all honesty, because you, the, the way you speak, you have, and I've known police officers. Um, I've had friends who are, you know, I used to have a friend who was, uh, who, who was a police officer. And I've known a lot of his friends. You know, I, I, I talked to them a lot. I had a lot of conversations with them. Obviously, a lot of them we disagreed on. That was fine. But I got to tell you, you're the first police officer I've ever spoken to who has said that what happens in prison is a tragedy and it creates more strife and more problems and it's wrong and unethical. You're the first officer I've ever heard who is happy to admit that not necessarily police interactions, but the the criminal justice system in general, because we're talking about judges and courts and lawyers and and DAs and, 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 and prison complexes, that that is a broken system that is causing harm and causing a lot of problems you guys face on that one. So I'm impressed. Like I was not expecting to hear that. Yeah, I agree. I wasn't expecting to hear it either. I, I would actually even the, the next. I would have a follow up to that though. Here's my question. I, I'm just curious. Would you do you think that your opinion on this represents the norm in policing, or do you think that you are a, a minority in, in your views? Ooh, that's hard to say. From conversations I've had, I would say, and you know, these people—they're not bad people. They just we just think differently, but. I would, I think I'm a minority in that people, you know, I've talked, you know, obviously I've talked to a lot of policemen. Um, they agree with parts of what I say, they disagree, but overall I feel that a lot of my views, if you put them all into a package, uh, I'm a minority, you know, it's, it's true about the prison system. Um, 
it makes people combative with us, law enforcement, because we're putting them back in, we're seen as the people putting them back into that box, right? That Mm -hmm. box that they're tortured in, that they're sitting in, that they're going hungry in, that they're, you know, we're putting them back into that system that they hate. And they're willing to, I've always told people, not that people are animals. I mean, we are in a way, but if you put an animal's back to the wall, it will fight you. And that's that's the thing is prison has created a non-rehabilitative environment where people will fight law enforcement to not go back. And that is a problem. For everyone, yeah. And it's, I mean, look, if you're being objective and just speaking objectively, this country is no stranger to civil rights violations in prisons. There's literally a court case that said you can't hang people like Passion of the Christ outside as punishment, which shouldn't even have been a court case, period. It should have been common sense. But I, I get, I digress. I get a little irritated. About it. It's really not, as we're not, we're no strangers to the stripes of the prison system. We've also just refused to change it because let's be honest, these people are expendable, right? I mean, you put somebody in jail for 10 years for armed robbery and they're disposable to you now as a society. They're, they're no good. They're a felon. They can't get a decent education. They can't have a decent job. They can't live in a decent area. They can't do anything. We've, we've made these people into nobodies. And yeah, they know, and um, they and they know that, and they don't know how to say that. And I and I and I've talked to a lot of people. I I've grown up in the hood, so I've talked to a lot of people. I've talked to people as an officer. They they feel that, but they don't know how to say that. They don't they don't know the words of what they're feeling. But I know the words of what they're feeling. They feel like nobodies because we've made them into nobodies. So when I tell people we can reform our system if we want, it's really easy. There we have prisons in this country that give people education, give them skills. They give them the tools to succeed after they're done. They have social workers follow up with them. They make it to where they don't, you don't put somebody back into the same community you originally took them from. That does them no good. We have relocation programs. It's just a matter of getting it onto a national large scale. And I didn't even really care about this until honestly 2019. But I saw this, you know, I told people this, law enforcement is, one cog of a big machine, but to fix policing, you have to fix this machine, which is fixing the prison system, fixing education, fixing the way the police police, fixing laws, fixing how much government you want in your life. And then that will fix the amount of interactions people have with police and why, which will then fix how these interactions end, at least in my opinion, especially education. But that's just my small spiel. No, I mean, in all honesty, I dig it. I got to tell you, um, it's again, it's refreshing, man. I, I honestly wish most conversations with people in law enforcement were like this. I agree with you. You are definitely yeah. a minority opinion. And, and I mean, that's great. Like, I'm glad to hear it. I was coming kind of coming on ready to hear like, you know, fuck off, hippie. I'm hearing that you're acknowledging there's a, a an institutionalized problem um, with how we treat people. And I agree that it's a big problem in this country is, I mean, not not even police, just American citizens. It's like as soon as someone has been through prison or as soon as someone has committed a crime, they're not human anymore. They're they're animals. And you know, we got we got, you know, racist sheriff, you know, sheriff, county sheriffs in Arizona putting them in pink underwear in the desert for fun. And, you know, it becomes this circus sideshow of 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 harming people. And we don't see them as people anymore. And I think you're right. I think that makes them not only when they get out, are they far more desperate and willing to commit crime again, especially with no resources. But you're right. They're more willing to fight police to not go back to that. And that's a bad situation for them. 
that's a bad situation for me and that's a bad situation for you and like no good comes from that and it's like what chris was saying like i i think based on some of the conversations he and i have had with other police officers um you know we we did not expect to hear this from you and it is very refreshing uh it if we can agree that there is a problem, then I think the disagreement just simply comes with how do we resolve the problem? And I think those are much easier discussions to have than debating whether or not the problem even exists in the first place. Yeah, a, a conversation about nuance is way better than a conversation about demonization of the other. Um, yeah. I, I completely agree. Now, I guess one of my and, and one of my views is that you know, I, I am obviously as far left as it gets, uh, probably a lot like your buddy Lamar. And so I am anti-police. Now, I'm not anti-police as human beings. I don't think that because someone is a cop, that makes them a terrible person. And thus, they should go to hell and die. Like, no, none of that. But I do believe policing as an institution is problematic and needs not just major reform, but I mean, fundamental change and reform. And I think, and uh, my question to you is, as someone who's got a lot of skin in this game, what do you feel about something like qualified immunity? You know, to address something first, I always tell uh, them that I actually had this conversation with my friend and I brought him around to this because he used to say the same thing a lot. You know, I'm anti-police, I'm anti-police. I told him, you're not anti-police, you're anti-oppression. And there's a difference. All right. Police officers and investigators are, we're good people, right? We cops, right? Civilian on patrol. That's what a cop is. Cops and investigators handle crime when it's reported. We handle crime when it's observed, crime that should be handled, right? Like somebody's beating up somebody, somebody is attempting to steal something from somebody's car, somebody is attacking a poor lady on the, in the middle of the night in an alley, right? We address crime. Somebody's dealing drugs to children. We address crime. A police officer. People don't need policing. I know I'm when I work with the people I work with, I have, I have a partner I talked about this too, and he's like, you're splitting hairs. I'm like, I'm not splitting hairs. People don't need policing. When you to say you're going to police somebody, what does that even mean? What what does that mean at the end of the day? I'm going to control you. I'm going to enforce upon you. What does that mean, right? When people violate laws flagrantly, right? And even something minor, like I said earlier, you know, the Dodge Ram blown through a stoplight at 40 miles an hour. Well, that's his fault, right? That for whatever reason he did that. And then when I get up to his car, we'll assess that reason. I've had people have been in emergencies. I've had them be like, yo, I don't care about the red light. I've had them be like, yo, I didn't see it. And I'm like, okay, well, all right. Well, I can understand some of that. I can't understand one of those and get going on the other one, right? That's not policing. I'm I'm a civilian, technically. I'm on patrol. I just have a job. I observe something dangerous. I, I initiated a, a legal traffic stop, and I'm choosing to write a citation based on what this conversation goes like. I have discretion. If you tell me, hey, I don't care about the red light, fuck you. Well, then you might get a ticket because I, I don't feel like that's a very good reason. If you're like, hey, man, look, I didn't see it, dude. I'm trying to find something. I'm an Uber driver. I'm sorry. Like, hey, you know what? You didn't hurt anybody at the end of the day. Uh, let's just try to look out, right? Because you could you could kill somebody. Could have killed me. I was going to come across that, that street too. So could have been me on the other side of your grill. So that's the first conversation is like people, I don't ever believe people are anti-police. They're just anti-oppression. And what they feel is oppression. Now, what? how much is oppression and how much isn't oppression? That's always a conversation I like to have with people because people have different ideas. Austin, train of thought. What was your other question? Uh, well, I believe, and let me, let me preface it as, as setting up more of a question rather than just giving you this you know, open-ended, I'm not trying to give you rope to hang yourself here. Uh, I think one of the biggest issues is, is I agree with you. I actually do not think 
all cops are racist. I do not think all cops are killers. I, I don't think that. In fact, I actually do think that is, I don't think, I don't know if I would actually consider race as a minority. I actually think a majority of police are racist. Maybe not when they go in, but I, per, and this is my opinion, I don't believe you can do that job consistently and not have more than 50% of the people doing it end up with a whole lot of bias. Uh, especially when the occupation is mostly white men who are looking for control. But I think one of the biggest issues you, you come across is that because most police aren't out here, you know, putting their knees on dudes necks in the middle of the street, most police are people who get up every day and are trying to do a job, is that there's no policing of the bad police. And, and I know everyone hates internal affairs and, and they do their own job as well. Well, yeah, because everybody hates cops. <laughs> Even cops hate cops. There's so few consequences when we see this, when we see these high profile cases and we see things like qualified immunity constantly being used, which was originally meant to protect federal agents who were going after the Klan. Now it's constantly used to, to protect cops who shoot people. I mean, this has even become an issue in the Supreme Court where they've held it up. But I mean, you know, Clarence Thomas and Sotomayor hate each other and even they agree on this one. I mean, I've got a quote here. Sotomayor said it's a, a disturbing trend of siding with police officers using excessive force with qualified immunity. Um, she says it sanctions a shoot first, think later approach to policing. And she said we, her, her quote is, we have not hesitated to summarily reverse courts for wrongly denying officers the protection of qualified immunity in cases involving use of force. But we rarely intervene where courts wrongfully afford officers the benefit of qualified immunity in those same cases. And if they agree on something, that, that needs a look. It, qualified immunity has gotten used to protect cops who shoot men who carry cell phones or who flee unarmed where they get shot in the back. Uh, you know, guys giving a rough rides in paddy wagons. I mean, this stuff has gone on over and over again. And we see qualified immunity constantly get used to shield officers from liability because they're on the clock. My question, I guess, is what do you feel about everything I just said? How, do you think I'm correct? Do you think that co legal consequences and liabilities for officers is a way to help stop this? I think you are correct. I think that there has been um, a lack of accountability on law enforcement. Now, I think since 2015 and Mike Brown, we've seen that kind of shift a little bit mm -hmm. as the conversation on policing has intensified. And I mean, well, after George Floyd, have we seen more officers being arrested, going to court, being charged? than we ever have before. I don't think qualified immunity is what people want to tackle. Uh, and this is why. It doesn't do anything for you criminally. It just says you can sue somebody, which money's nice, but you can sue a department anyways because they're a business. Departments can be sued at any point in time. You can sue the state. You can sue the mayor. Uh, those people don't have immunity from being sued. You can sue the officer, but what's, I mean, he can give you only what he can give you. And the thing about qualified immunity is it is meant to shield officers from, and, and it's, I agree, it, I've seen cases, you know, and they tried to apply it to the Floyd case, and that was an, it would have been a gross misuse of, of qualified immunity. It's designed to shield us from civil rights violations when there are no clear standings by the Supreme Court. So, for example, uh, if you're familiar with the term hot pursuit, are you guys? Mm -hmm. Okay, so, you know, this was a really big one, right? Hot pursuit, an officer chasing somebody. The guy runs to his house, slams the door. The officer kicks the door in. Um, it's for a high violent. It's for a high violent crime. You know, I think it was murder at the time. And the officer ends up entering the house and subduing the male and bringing him to custody. And the argument was, do they do? Does law enforcement have the right to enter your residence while you flee from them? And the Supreme Court said yes. If it's for violent felonious offenses, then of course, um, like the police just can't. And but there's a time restriction. There's a bunch of other stuff the Supreme Court outlined, but the officer couldn't be sued. 
right? Qualified immunity. Well, this was never yeah. outlined. This was never discussed. This is a complicated issue. How is the officer supposed to know that this violates your rights? He, to him, you're you're running from him. You've just murdered somebody. You should be caught. And that's what it's meant to do. It's meant to protect us from non... Now, if you go, fuck the police and I backhand you, that's clearly a violation of your civil rights and I've assaulted you. So I should go to jail, right? Those should be... I should go to jail. I should be sued. It, and, and this is why Supreme Court has never... This is why I think we should relook at qualified immunity, but not in re- reducing it or eliminating it. We need to look at cases where it's been applied and we need to look at, okay, so were these decisions already on the books? Because a few of these cases, they are on the books. And I'm like, well, if it's on the books, I don't care if it's from the 70s or the 60s or the 50s. If it's on the books, it's on the books. And this is why um, I study so much about Supreme Court legislation in both in my state and on the federal levels, because that's what keeps you out of prison. As a law enforcement officer, you you stay within the, the parameters of the law, your department, and the Supreme Court, you will not go to jail, you will not be sued, and you will not be fired, right? And if they try to do any of those three things, you can sue them back and be a millionaire. It, it pays to know the laws, especially if you're going to enforce all of them. So uh, I think two things can be true. Yes, I think qualified immunity has been misused. I've seen it be misused, if we're going to be honest. Um, in, in, in courts on TV and, and on YouTube where I've watched uh, court proceedings. And I've also seen it being underused where the officer probably should have had qualified immunity. As a general sense, I think it's a good thing. I think if you strip it, you do strip a necessary buffer that I think law enforcement needs because, you know, um, it shields us from doing things like uh, Mimsy, Pennsylvania, right? Can an officer ask you to step out the vehicle to conduct your traffic, to conduct a traffic stop? The Supreme Court said yes. And then and then later on, they, they granted Shuffle Beam v. Harris to say, well, we can make the passenger and all the backseat passengers step out as well. So they law enforcement can get everybody out the car for no reason other than they want to have you out the car to conduct their stop for safety. They can see your hands. You can see their hands. Whatever the reason might be. Yeah, removing probable cause that basically just for officer safety, they can have people simply stand outside the car and not be hidden away. Right. You know, I know some people argue, was that okay? Is that not okay? You know, working in a major city, and I know, Bob, I, I think it's okay in a way. I think I don't use it all the time. I think there's a time and place for everything. But anyways, I don't want to get into that. So, <laughs> sorry, I get off on tangents. Um, <laughs> I think if you nix it, whether they're good cops, bad cops, however you want to morally define them, we're going to hinder law enforcement from being able to actively do its job because there are parts of law enforcement that are uncomfortable for people who don't do the job and they were uncomfortable for me when I started. And that is, and it's it's kind of hard to, it's a hard pill to say, but there is a certain sense of go get them or aggression a little bit. Mm-hmm. Most violent felons don't just walk into the police station and say, I shot that guy yesterday on Main Street. I'm turning myself in. No, you you have to most time stop the vehicle, do your investigation. People start trying to play you in verbal chess, or you know you start playing the name game. What's your name? All right, step out of the car. Why are you reaching? Where you, you, you? I think you're going to hinder a lot of the ability. And we saw this. We're seeing this, or we saw this. I should say. Excuse me. We saw this in New York. New York nixed, I believe, it's qualified immunity. I believe also Illinois nixed qualified immunity. Um, Illinois is suffering terribly now in Chicago because of it, because officers aren't able to stop vehicles um, or, and aren't able to do search warrants. They're not able to do a lot of the things that they will usually have immunity from. And right now they have a really uh, high violent crime surge 
uh, and it's all and according to them, and take it for what you will, I don't know. Obviously, take it with a grain of salt because the police reporting it, and I take it with a grain of salt too because I haven't heard the other side report this yet. But it's due to the fact that officers feel they cannot do search warrants, do these traffic stops without being fearful of, well, am I going to get landed in court over XYZ hurting this guy's feelings? Or if he does run from me and I tase him and he falls, can he sue me now because he hurt, he hit his head? Uh, you know, stuff like that, you know, and with search warrants is a whole other separate set of issues. But I guess my thought on that one is a couple things. I mean, first of all, as a libertarian, don't you feel that authorities and the government should be the ones who are in fear? Because, I mean, I got to tell you, I am I am a, I am a white male in California. Like there's no one who's got less of a problem with police than me. Right. I am nervous as shit when I get pulled over because I'm super liberal. And I have a super left and I have a, a view of police and there's an armed human being who has way more rights than I do walking up to my car. Who's going to decide whether or not I'm going in for something. When I was 18, I was arrested and I did get roughed up in jail by the police officers. Like, don't get me wrong. That's a personal experience. It doesn't relate to every instance, but this happens all the time. And this is why people are afraid. And, and to say that you're worried about the police officers being afraid. I mean, I would, I would have to say good. I want officers to be concerned about getting sued. I want officers to worry about what's going to happen to them with their captain and in court because that's the only way to protect liberty. I mean, you say, again, you say you're a libertarian. Wouldn't you want the government and authorities over you to be very afraid of you as a citizen and what could happen to them if they overstep? Uh, yeah, and I believe it's a careful balance, though. So being libertarian doesn't mean that I don't, there's there should be laws there should be rules i i do believe in like the westphalian system i believe that the government really ought to capture and control the business of violence whether it's jailing whether it's policing um that's because i don't i wouldn't want private citizens to capture that i don't know how i don't know how i'm gonna jail a guy for you know beating up my neighbor i i can't i don't it'll end up being torture I, i just can't private citizens policing each other it ends in violence usually it's a lynch mob yeah 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 and there, there's no due process i mean and you can we can argue about due process in our courts right now which is not in the best place i think personally either but it's way more no, due process than a lynch mob <laughs> yeah i think everyone here agrees that vigilante justice is never the answer like i agree that like leaving your average dumb american to dole out justice as he sees fit is not a good thing. And I think we can look at a majority of the South and see where that went for a long time. Well, one thing I, I did want to comment on though, is, is with qualified immunity, I think you said it yourself, it, it's, it's dependent on whether or not there is legal precedent, right? But there can't ever be legal precedent if all the times cops are getting off because of qualified immunity. I think that's where I have the issue with it is it's meant to be in place when there's no legal precedent, but how often are cops being taken um, in for murder, in for 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 all these legal le- these civil rights violations? They're not because they're constantly getting out of them because of qualified immunity. So there's this weird catch twenty two that I think you have to acknowledge with it is is that you have this thing that's meant to protect people in case there's no legal precedent. And it's being used to constantly present, prevent there from being a legal precedent. Like how it, it's, it's, just, it's like you said, it's this thing that's constantly making the situation happen. Well, and, and this was, um, you know, I, I talked to a, uh, an activist um, who was 
she was a leader activist in Minneapolis, a BLM. And I told her, you know, I, I told her the, the thing to tackle isn't uh, the Minneapolis Police Department for Floyd. What you need to tackle is the Supreme Court. So on, uh, it's like on stereo, right? I Right now I have a segment called Ask a Cop. And um, I'm doing solo broadcast right now where it's a 12-part it's a series of me reading Supreme Court cases. And there's hundreds of them that relate to law enforcement. And the issue is there, there's too many of them. That's the issue. There's, there's too many protections, right? So that's why I said it's a careful balance. Where do we balance liberty with the, with the government's ability to rein in uh, the unrulies of society, right? There should be less protections for police, right? What that looks like, I don't know yet. Well, you, know, you said go after the Supreme Court, but I didn't see anyone in black robes killing George Floyd. What I saw was multiple uniformed officers watching one person kill George Floyd and doing nothing about it. I mean, we had an EMT in the crowd who was saying, what the hell are you doing trying to help? And they wouldn't let him. I mean, there was a group of police officers. And I, I think that's the best picture you could take of the problem is that it, it's not like all four of them were standing around on his neck. You know, only one person was creating an egregious act. The rest of them were not. But they were standing around watching it happen. And so I think the Minneapolis Police Department is the problem in that situation. Yes, but that was, that was just my example. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, I guess technically we could do two things at once, right? We can hold Chauvin responsible. However, on the road to being held responsible, there were roadblocks. And it was qualified yep, yep. immunity roadblocks because of old Supreme Court rulings on the books that lawyers drug up, which thankfully the judge said, no, we're not going to do that here. You guys take that with the federal court then. Ultimately, those rules, those laws, which didn't apply to him, but closely almost did, right? They almost applied. Had had Floyd not been handcuffed, they actually would have applied. Those need to be looked at. And that's because it's not just about arresting one officer for egregious acts. It's about preventing other egregious acts from continuing, right? Because I, like, I just yeah, posted a yeah. video on my Instagram where a guy was in handcuffed and an officer positioned the man's neck. It was four officers. They're all white. The guy's white on the ground, positioned his neck, and then purposely knelt on his neck. No one said anything about the video, but I was outraged. I'm like, are we serious? Like, are we serious? We just went through this. And somebody sent me a Supreme a Supreme Court decision about uh, restraining a suspect. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. This is one I didn't even know about. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. We should, that should be, that should be, that should be nixed. That, that's abuse. You can't abuse people that way. So, you know, I'm a person who's about, yeah, we, we can fight the battle here as well, but I'm about winning wars. And to me, you win wars when you attack the things that protect people who util who can use and abuse the system to not go to prison. Because I, I feel that while law enforcement has a duty to the citizens, we have a duty to, like I said, rein in the unruly. I also believe that we can be held accountable right? When we do wrong and we should, we're not above anybody. And that's why I tell people we have to also tackle the Supreme Court because, you know, no, the justices weren't kneeling on his neck, but they uphold the qualified immunities that give other acts such as the Breonna Taylor incident validation and not putting people in prison. True. And, and I think you're right. I think this, the, you know, the Supreme Court has been on the wrong side of this a lot of times. And I do, I agree with you, actually. I think they have set precedent 
they have created rulings that have been used to protect the worst of actors. You know, like you're saying qualified immunity, you give this this perfect example of hot pursuit, right? And then you also were talking about that go get them attitude. But in that hot pursuit, right? Like you just saw someone murder someone and they just ran to a house. You don't know if it's their house. You don't know if they're holding someone hostage. Like, you, Correct. The, the officer doesn't know what's going on. And he's rushing in there to try to prevent loss of life, right? But couldn't the officer also have the area cordoned off? If we're hot pursuiting and we've got someone coordinated, like, I guess I feel that cowboy mentality is one of the big problems. And I do agree with you. The Supreme Court is a purveyor of that. But so are things like police unions. And so are a lot of these protections like grand juries. I don't get a grand jury if I kill someone, you know, and because there's so many protections in place. Hold on. You do get a grand jury. Everyone gets grand jury. I don't get I don't get a special grand jury if I commit a felony. Well, no, but you, you do get a grand jury. Like if you kill somebody and we arrest you before you go, you go to trial. There's a grand jury where a jury of your peers evaluates evidence brought by the police. And if there's not enough of it. You don't go to trial. Yes, but that's not that's a public hearing. Grand jury, when a police officer does, is a secret hearing. Everything's protected and sealed away. We don't even get to hear what the DA, you know, accused of. We don't get any of those details. It's this secretive process held away. And again, it's one of the things that erodes public trust. We might disagree on this, but I don't believe trials, period, should be publicized at all for anybody. I think it's completely inappropriate to publicize people's trials and stuff. But going back to what you said about the hot pursuit... So this is where the Supreme Court, again, is the issue, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say you run into this residence and I stop chasing you. I stop. I, I corned, I cor you know, I, I have the area, you know, blocked off. We surround the house. And in the process, um, this wasn't your house and you've killed somebody else in the residence. Am I now responsible for your death? The Supreme Court would say, yes, I failed to act, right? I failed to protect you. That was my job. And I didn't do that. But the Supreme Court's already said that's not the case. They said the police have no duty to serve and protect anyone who's not in their custody. Yeah, that's true with duty to act case law. However, the Supreme Court also, and this is where our system is, this is where our system is weird. It defers to states and states have color of law. And all 50 states say that we are responsible for life, liberty and property and do not recognize duty to act case law. Yeah, but that, that that's a SCOTUS ruling. You could easily appeal it. Federal law overseas. Yeah, federal law will trump it every time. Like, I mean, that's the thing. It's like that may be a state thing, but the moment that you that the officer that's being you know gone after appeals to the federal court, the federal law takes over. The case is thrown out, so it, it, it's a moot point. Like, it doesn't matter what the states say at that point. Yeah, I mean that, that was those Deshaney versus Winnebago and Castle Rock versus Gonzalez. Like, they've held up twice now that that uh, police absolutely have a duty to anyone in custody to protect. But they are allowed to, I mean, and then it became big after the Parkland shooting where that school cop, you know, who was, I mean, he was, but he was hanging out between buildings and, and literally hid and refused to act while kids were getting shot. And don't, I'm sure as a cop, you hate this guy too. You know, he's clearly disgraced to the badge. The Supreme Court had his back and said he doesn't have a duty to act because no one was in his custody. Right. And I know that they've also claimed, you know, basically your Second Amendment is your protectionary rights. Um, well, and I, and I guess with that, the, the whole thing is, one, it's moral, and two, it comes down to what, what kind of fight do we want to have, right? So me, personally, I, I couldn't live with myself if I stopped pursuing somebody and you broke into somebody else's house and you murdered them and I showed cowardice by not pursuing you, right? Just 
you know, I, I, I'm a big believer of uh, while I while I want people to not be hurt when they're taken into custody, I also believe that people can sometimes kind of um, line their own destiny, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And if, if you break in somebody's house and you're trying to take them hostage and the police shoot you, I believe you've lined your own destiny. You didn't probably didn't give them too many other options. Other people's lives are in danger. And yes, you're right. On the end of the day, you probably could appeal uh, to get out of prison or to get out of whatever you're in to the to the federal court. But at the same time, you know, and this is where I, I disagree with duty attack case law quite a bit, actually, because if the police aren't meant to protect at least life, then what are they doing? Uh, we're useless at that point. So. I mean, we're, we're basically tax collectors for big business and property owners, which is not what we should be doing. I, mean, I agree with that. I, I think you have a fair gripe with that. Like, that's kind of the thing is like. That's our main main issue with policing at this moment is that that I think is what police officers have been relegated to is exactly what you just said. What you want police officers to be and what I want police officers to be are actually the same thing. Um you know, and the and the problem is this: these are organizations that came from slave patrols and came from union busting. And you know, the idea of a non-private police force, police being public to to metropolitan areas, it's a newer idea. It's like a hundred and something years old. You know, this is new, and I think we have this modern view of police as defenders of of civilians and citizens, and that's a pretty new concept. And I think we're trapped in a lot of the old ways with that. Like I, I think too much of policing is revenue collecting and is enforcement of pr- private property in the status quo. And I think you have a good point too about someone lining their own destiny, right? Like I, I, even though now I'm super left, but I'm so left, I, I'm pro-gun, right? Uh, I'm pro-Second Amendment. And if someone breaks into my house while I'm home, that's a home invasion. And he has already sealed his fate at that point. And so I think you're right that we are in a, in a sense that, that people can commit enough perpetuitous crime to absolutely warrant use against them and in that specific situation that you line up of someone running around mass shooting on a killing spree runs into a house you're right and i don't think many people would fail to act at that point even worrying about liability but the problem is is that instance is pretty rare and what happens a lot is that same cowboy go get a mentality gets used for things like no-knock warrants like what happened to brianna taylor happens a lot and me as a private citizen if someone breaks down my door, doesn't announce themselves as police, they're getting shot. Well, and there and there's even states around the country that specifically outline that if somebody does that, even if it is the police, you can shoot them, right? There, like there are states, Texas yeah, but being one of them, that says that. And I don't particularly disagree because I, I was in the same camp. If if I'm sitting around minding my business, my door flies open and no one said anything, I'm probably apt to defend my home because reasonably I'm like, well, it sounds like a home invasion. <laughs> yeah, but, but the ACLU has done massive nationwide studies on this and Castle Doctrine and Stand Your Ground Doctrine and Home Defense and Defense of Life statutes never hold up for people of color and they never hold up against the police. I mean, again, the Brianna Taylor conversation, the guy had a legal firearm, he had a revolver, and the police, I mean, there's countless witnesses, broke down his door, broke down her door with a battering ram, claimed on their police report they used no force to enter, said they announced they were police, no one heard that, and then he used his legally purchased firearm to defend his home, shot one cop in the leg, and they lit up his fiance. and then they pressed charges against him, and it was only dropped because of national outrage. Well, I would also point this out too, is in the scenario you you suggested, Lamar, while I agree with your side of it, in that scenario, you're the homeowner 
you've got probably at least two to three officers coming into your house. If it's that type of scenario, all three of them are going to say that they knocked and you refuse to answer or something along those lines. If it goes to court, what is our court system? Who is our court system going to believe the guy whose house who was assaulted in his own home by police officers or three quote unquote law abiding police officers who swear they did everything by the book. And the other guy is lying. Like, and that's where it comes up. Like, I think, hypothetically when there's laws on the books that say, no, you can do this, that's all well and good. But at the end of the day, the court system is always going to take the word of three police officers over a civilian. Well, I think that's an, I think that's an important thing. And that's why I think body cams are so vital and why I was outraged at the Breonna Taylor case that no one had a body cam on. I'm like, so you're raiding somebody's house. You don't have any proof. So we have body cams and some people hate them. I love my body cam. It has all the proof I need. It has what I said, what you said, what you did, what I did. It has everything I need on there. I I have zero issues with people looking at my body cam. I I don't care. I do things correctly. And I think that's important. I think that's a that's a good litmus test for whether or not someone's on the up and up. Because yeah. at the end of the day, if you're doing your job correctly, that body cam does nothing but protect you. Yep. Yeah. Well, and and I know I know people were kind of bootlicking, and they were like, well. You know, neighborhoods lie against police all the time. And I'm like, well, be that as it may, no one had the forethought to wear a camera. So, I mean, gone, to me personally, gone are the days. And this isn't my personal belief. It's just observation. Like, obviously, I'm a police officer. I work with policemen. I kind of trust them at their face that they're not going to lie to me. But to our system, to our government, and to our people, gone are the days of, well, the cops said it, so it's true. No, 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 no. That doesn't work anymore. So if the whole neighborhood, even if they are against the police and are going to lie against the police, well, too bad. That's why you have body cameras. It's your job to mitigate your liability. So if those witnesses are lying, then they can be arrested for tampering, interfering with the duties of police officers, um, lying in court. I mean, whatever it is that they are charged with for lying in open court, they can be because the police don't obviously don't have to show you their video to then make you not testify. That's a, that's a violation of your rights. You get to testify. You get to say whatever you want. If you lie, you get a consequence. So that's what I was saying about the Brown Taylor case. When I, when I saw, I was like, where's the cameras? Where's the cameras? Yeah. Like, don't, yeah. you can't break people's houses down and not have on a camera. Somebody no, has to have a camera. Cause that and, way, and, if and, you and, did knock and they're like, well, he didn't knock. And then you go to court and you're on camera beating on that door, breaking down the hinges. Almost the judge is like, what are we talking about here? They yelled police. They beat on the door. They give you like a five minute warning. They knocked it in. What are we doing? You know what I mean? But, and by the way, I do disagree with no knock warrants. I, and I disagree with my coworkers on this all the time. I don't see a point to them. If we're going to enter your residence, just put a team in the front, put a team in the back. I can kick in both your doors at once. After I announce myself, we can rush the house as fast as we want per the law. There's once we announce ourselves loudly, we're allowed to just enter as aggressively as possible. So me not knocking doesn't really do anything besides put everybody in danger. I mean, if I yell police loudly and then I enter the house, then I enter the house. But if I just kick your door in, to me at least, that's illogical to think that somebody, even if they are dealing drugs, even if they're dealing drugs or they're dealing smuggling guns or kids, is going to believe that the police at this hour, on this time, at this day, are going to kick their door in because people 
aren't omnipotent. It's weird. It's a weird concept. I'm sorry. I get <laughs> off on. I really hate no not. It's a weird concept. I I, I agree. I mean, the, the idea of no not warrants us. On the antagonistic side of this, we're, we're with you on this one. <laughs> it's a SWAT tactic that was used for officer safety. It was supposed to be used on literally they have found the supervillain and they are storming the house filled with children in the basement. Like that's when it's supposed to be used. And all of a sudden now we're serving them for fucking warrants. And look and look, if you if you came to me and told me, hey, uh, Lamar, uh, we uncovered. Let's go back in time. Right. Uh, we uncovered the guy who plotted 9-11 and brought down the towers. Um, super dangerous dude, big supervillain. We're going to go in, but we're not going to knock. I beg, I wouldn't knock either. He's probably going to kill you. But don't knock. Don't just go in. But if you're telling me, hey, Lamar, this dude's dealing drugs, uh, we think. We're going to go in and uh, arrest him. I'd be like, okay, you should probably knock. I mean, yeah, he's a drug dealer. He's not like a supervillain. He's not trying to blow up the world or anything. Um, so, but yeah, I mean... If they want to keep it on the books, man, look, I agree. The super villain, right? Like the Unabomber or some the Ted Bundys of the world. We can go in on those guys. But but even then, why? Because here, at the end of the day, you true. know where it's this true. guy is. This isn't a surprise. It's not like you know a patrol officer is walking by whistling and he's like, that looks like the Unabomber's house. Like, no, this is something that went to a judge. You got a warrant. Like the, the PD is aware of this. Cool. Get the you know get the helicopter out, get everybody surrounding the house, and then knock on the door and be like, "Hey, you can come out, or we're gonna send in dogs." What do you want to do, man? You know, it's like at no point in time because then on the one in a million chance that you got the address wrong, and it's someone's grandma baking cookies, she can be like, "Hey, I'm an old lady baking cookies. Like, I'll let you in. Like, what's what the fuck? Like, it, it basically only stops the worst case scenario from happening. But if you're prepared enough to do a no knock warrant you can absolutely protect everyone's safety and do a knock. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I don't necessarily agree. I think if you're going to do no knocks, it's, uh, it's very, 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 very far and few between like virtually zero percent. Okay, everybody, that's going to wrap up the first half of the interview. Thanks for sticking with it. I'm sure by now you've realized it's actually pretty cool. This is going to be it for the episode right now. Kay basically had to quit his job and lives in a hut, and all he does is edit our podcast now. Uh, every every five minutes of podcasting takes 20 minutes to edit. So Get back in the dungeon, Kay. Yeah, get back in there. So, Doing the job as best as I can. Shut up. It edits or it gets the hose again. So anyway... He's still in the editing dungeon, uh, so the second half will be released in the next couple days. Just stick with us. Uh, I think you're really going to like it. Thanks again for being part of this. It was a lot of fun to do, and we'll, uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>